Our scripture reading for this evening will be from Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I think it's probably best if we actually start in verse 1, though really what we're considering is verses 11 and 12, and we'll, uh, we'll end there. I should say 12 and 13. And we'll end in verse 12 and 13. You'll notice there is something a little bit different um, on the back of your outlines is uh, I've broken up the, the Belgic Confession into kind of three different parts and uh, I've separated it by the parts that correspond to each point or primarily what I'm covering in that point and where that can be found in the Belgic. Uh, and that way also it's kind of handy dandy. Uh, you can use that as we do the, the reading of it together following the scripture reading this evening. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my, my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and with trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now if you'll turn to Article 24 of the Belgic Confession. We will read that together this evening. We will not pause between the different boxes. We'll just go through together as normally. Article 24, on the sanctification of sinners. Uh, people of God, I'll give some, some folks are turning their stove, so we'll give you a second. Okay. Article 24. People of God, what do you believe? We believe that this true faith produced in man by the hearing of God's word and by the work of the Holy Spirit, regenerates him and makes him a new man, causing him to live the new life and freeing him from the slavery of sin. Therefore, far from making people cold toward living in a pious and holy way, this justifying faith, quite to the contrary, so works within them that apart from it, they will never do a thing out of love for God, but only out of love for themselves and fear of being condemned. 
So then, it is impossible for this holy faith to be unfruitful in a human being, seeing that we do not speak of an empty faith, but of what Scripture calls faith working through love, which leads a man to do of himself the works that God has commanded in his word. These works, proceeding from the good root of faith, are good and acceptable to God, since they are all sanctified by his grace. Yet they do not count towards justification, for our, in Christ we are justified, even before we do good works. Otherwise they could not be good, any more than the fruit of a tree could be good, if the tree is not good in the first place. So then, we do good works, but not for merit. For what would we merit? Rather, we are indebted to God for the good works we do, and not he to us, since it is he who works in us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Thus, keeping in mind what is written, when you have done all that is commanded you, then you shall say, we are unworthy servants. We have done what it is our duty to do. Yet we do not wish to deny that God rewards good works, but it is by his grace that he crowns his gifts. Moreover, although we do good works, we do not base our salvation on them, for we cannot do any work that is not defiled by our flesh and also worthy of punishment. And even if we could point to one, memory of a single sin is enough for God to reject that work. So, we would always be in doubt, tossed back and forth without any certainty, and our poor consciences would be tormented constantly if they did not rest on the merit of the suffering and death of our Savior. Will you pray with me? Father God, as we consider your word together this evening and what it means to be sanctified by Christ Jesus, we recognize that they would be uh, words that fall on deaf ears if it were not for your spirit, illuminating our hearts and our minds. So we ask now that your spirit would do just that, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would convict us and lead us, and also comfort us with these truths. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> If you'll look at the introductory statement there, the summary of this point is, uh, I think, quite simple as, as usual. We rejoice and have peace in the reality that God works genuine faith that is obedient to Him and that He accepts on the account of His grace. We rejoice and have peace in the reality that God works genuine faith that is obedient to Him and that He accepts on account of His grace. So we'll move to consider that. Number one, faith works. Faith is not static or abstract from power, but it is characterized by new life and therefore works. Where does the confession show this? Well, it shows this when it says in that first part of the article, we believe that this true faith being produced in man by the hearing of God's word and by the work of the Holy Spirit regenerates him and makes him a new man causing him to live the new life and freeing him from the slavery of sin. So faith itself comes from the hearing of God's word, the operation of the Spirit, 
and as a result makes us alive. Literally, uh, Scripture refers to us as new creations. It, 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 it articulates that we have new life. So because of this, we are not cold or careless or unfruitful, but to the contrary, we are actively doing the works that God commands. Then goes on to say that in this middle section, something that is perhaps shocking to us, but that apart from God, in the words of John 15, 5, we can do nothing. In fact, apart from God, these works that we would do are, are really just done either out of selfish ambition or out of fear of condemnation. They're not done out of love for God. They're not done because we love Him and we desire to honor Him and bring Him glory. And really what all of this means, what the, what the confession is circling around is letter A. Faith does what it does because it is what it is. It is alive. Faith does what it does because it is what it is, alive. The redundant way of saying it, or it sounds maybe quite simple, but it is alive, therefore it lives. One who is actually alive lives life. They do things, they walk about, they explore, they adventure, they think, they work. That's what we would expect from someone that is alive. So faith is the same. It is an immediate new life or new creation that we become or that we possess. We are not dead. Dead people don't walk, they don't live, they don't move, they don't do things. So real genuine faith then, from the moment of conversion, from the moment that the Holy Spirit regenerates our hearts in the hearing of the word, brings about an immediate change of the heart, a change in the will, a change... In a, a complete and total change of that person from the state that he was before. From that first moment of conversion, faith works good works so that we do good works that are pleasing to God. And the proof of this is found throughout the New Testament, but one of the best examples is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. This is a categorical change from someone who was dead and did not desire to live righteously for God to someone that is now alive and desires to do works that are pleasing to God, desires to do works that uh, reflect the change that God has brought about in his life and the faith that they have in him. I think you could probably anticipate this analogy from the subject, but uh, that age-old but classic movie, The Princess Bride, has this scene where one of the main characters, Wesley, is, at least as far as we can tell, dead. And uh, so they, he, he's the heroic figure, so they take him to the two doctors of this medieval town, and they have these magical uh, things that they can do, and so they're discussing whether or not he is dead or mostly dead. And this old husband and wife have this kind of funny argument. And they conclude that he's mostly dead. And so they give him this magical pill and what do you know, Wesley is brought back to life. He is revived. When it comes to discussing our spiritual state, there is no such thing as mostly dead. There is only dead dead and alive. You cannot be mostly dead, mostly spiritually dead. Scripture does not speak in these categories you are either dead or alive. So to be a new creation through faith is to be alive. Therefore, living faith works. It does things. 
And it's not just that it's an immediate change at the moment of conversion by the regeneration of the Spirit as He brings, uh, brings us to faith, but... <coughs> Excuse me. It is also a continuous, lifelong process whereby the Holy Spirit works in our hearts through the teaching of the Word to conform us to Christ. This is not a, an immediate change that, that brings about uh, complete obedience in every single way and in every single category, but this is a process that takes, uh, takes place throughout our lives. It occurs day by day, week by week, year by year, that we grow in our conformity, grow in our ability to do the, thing, the will of God, to obey His will, to think His thoughts after Him, to have consciences that are pricked by sin and sensitive to the holiness and the, the righteousness of God and seek to do that will. My favorite passage concerning this is Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul opens this letter and he says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, that, that, that first work of sanctification, whereby he made them holy, declared them holy as he applied the work of Christ to them. I am sure of this, that he who began that work will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus, so that on that last day we may be presented to God as blameless, as holy, and as pure. Now, of course, Paul is speaking here both of that initial sanctification, that work that begun where he declared you righteous and gradual sanctification, the overall transformation of our lives in conformity to that image of Christ. The Old Testament affirms this, uh, letter B, the Old Testament affirms this by the pattern of God's relationship with his people. He saves, then he gives his law to lead them and guide them. We see an example of this in Exodus chapter 19, akin to what we saw this morning. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And therefore you shall observe all of my statutes and all of my rules and do them. I am the Lord. It is in light of the reality that God has delivered his people, that he has saved them, that he has, were to put it in the category of terms that we've been talking about, it's in light of the reality that he has regenerated their hearts, that he has uh, brought them to be convicted of their sin and given them faith in him. It's in light of that and the Spirit's work in our hearts that we then receive his law as, and his word as, as, as a guide for our lives. This is the pattern of God's relationship. He saves then he gives his law to lead them, guide them, and govern their lives. So let us see. Therefore, ask no more questions of your works, but simply believe in the object of your salvation, Jesus. Now, by this I do not mean that examination of our lives and the godliness that we have achieved and our conformity to the will of God is not necessary for the Christian life. In fact, the New Testament advocates in a number of places that we examine ourselves, that we examine our own lives, that we test ourselves to see whether or not we are obeying God's word. It is good to do this. This is a result of faith. But if we are looking for or looking at our works as a litmus test to determine our salvation, we are looking at the wrong place. And the reality is if that you're constantly obsessed with your works to provide this for you, you won't make any progress in your obedience in this way. 
What will you see when you do this? All you will see is a sinner who fears the condemnation of God. But scripture says it is for freedom that we have been set free. What will happen? You'll never be able to muster up enough strength to obey as much as you want to. I think a great analogy or illustration of this is like a pull-up bar. You might be able to do, depending on who you are, you might be able to do quite a few of them. But eventually you'll get to a place where you'll never be able to lift yourself up any further. You'll be stuck. If you are, the reality also is that if you are concerned about the state of, I heard it put to me this way. When I was a young man, I went to an elder in my church and I was really concerned. I felt like I wasn't a Christian. I felt like I wasn't growing enough. I felt like I wasn't obedient enough. And I went to him and I communicated these concerns and what he said to me, I think, was one of the most comforting things when thinking about the life of sanct- our growth and sanctification over the years of our life. He said, Brennan, the fact that you are concerned for these things, the fact that you are concerned about your obedience, the fact that you desire to grow in your obedience to the will of God is evidence of the reality that you are indeed a child of God. It's evidence of your faith, and it's evidence that that faith is working, that the Spirit is working in your heart to convict you of your sin and conform you to the image of Christ. Concern for it is is actually evidence of faith itself. Faith beholds the object of salvation, the word Jesus Christ. This makes new creation a new creation with the ability to obey. That is, beholding Christ in faith, believing in him. And because it believes, it examines oneself as it looks at Christ, the model, the standard, the one who was perfect, the one who sets the example. And actually, in Philippians 2, you see that illustrated very perfectly. Paul, struggling with a church that has all sorts of arguments and dissension and is, is, is struggling to get along, says if there's any comfort in love, any encouragement, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Be unified, he's telling them. Be humble. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Don't look to your own interests. And how can you go about doing this, he says. Let's look at the prime example. Jesus Christ, who who abandoned his glory and and veiled himself in human flesh and came down and suffered and was afflicted. That's your example, Paul is saying. Faith beholds Jesus as the object as it examines oneself and as it looks at him, then it is convicted. And the confession also calls this a justifying faith. And it does this for a reason, because this faith itself is righteous. It is this faith that makes one righteous, rather. Therefore, this, through this justifying faith, we have peace, because it's, in it we are declared righteous. We are already already righteous because of faith and by faith. We're not earning righteousness by our obedience. Because of this justifying faith, our life is impacted. We are changing. We are growing. We are growing in conformity with the will and word of God after the image of Christ. Number two, God accepts. 
God receives as good and acceptable works that proceed from faith. Now we want to make a distinction. Letter A. Works don't make us right with God or save us, but God accepts them because of Christ. We see this in the confession when it says, works proceeding from the good root of faith are good and acceptable to God since they are sanctified by his grace, yet they do not count to, toward our justification. <coughs> I don't know what's going on this evening, excuse me. Yet they do not count toward our justification. So the word sanctification in that clause there does not mean to cleanse over time or to grow in holiness. It is that once and for all declaration that God makes when we come to faith and we're unified with Christ that we are holy. Works proceeding from the good root of faith are good and acceptable to God since they are declared holy by His grace. And the reason that he does them is because they are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He receives our good works in Christ. And the reason that he can receive these works in Christ is, as our confession says, because they are done from the good root of faith and they are presented thus in Christ. Another way to say this is that the only works God accepts as pleasing in his sight is that which flows from faith and is done for his glory. If works flow from faith, then we have already received the gift of salvation, and we cannot merit anything by them. We aren't meriting righteousness by them. We aren't meriting salvation by them. All we seek to do is honor and bring glory to God by our good works, because we believe in him. And therefore, the confession asks, what could we merit? A bad tree only makes good fruit once it has been made good. On your own, you're a bad tree. But once God has made you good, the fruit that you produce is good. Ephesians 2, chapter 8, verse 10. <clears throat> chapter, chapter 2, verses 8 to 10 makes this very clear. That this is a gift. Salvation is a gift and that these works flow from it. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. Faith. It is a gift of God, not as a result so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Letter B. The Old Testament affirms this. God saves, then he delights in the obedience of his children. I think a wonderful example of this is in Psalm 51. Do good in Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. David is calling upon God here. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Here's what he's saying there by that language in reference to these sacrificial things. These things that you have asked us to do as worshipful activities, as obedience to you, these things we will do when you restore Jerusalem, when you build us up, when you deliver us, when you sanctify your city, then you will delight in the worship of your people. When you make holy your city, then you will delight in the worship of your people. The Old Testament affirms this. God saves. 
he sanctifies, then he delights in the obedience of his children. It's letter C. This means that we do not have to hide from God like Adam, but that we may boldly approach his throne of grace as we work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. I just said we do not have to hide from God. And then I said, as we work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. And you say, well, wait a second. Adam walked in fear. Why would we walk in fear? It's It's not the same kind of fear that Adam walked in. It's a reverent fear. John Murray says, nothing could be more significant than that the fear of the Lord should be coupled with the comfort of the Holy Spirit as the characteristic of the New Testament church. Nothing could be more significant than that the fear of the Lord should be coupled with the comfort of the Holy Spirit as the characteristic of the New Testament church. And so what does that mean? It means that we can approach boldly in reverent fear because he accepts our work in Christ Jesus. Paul makes, rather Luke makes this comment regarding the New Testament church. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The fear of the Lord in this sense is is, is accessible to us and produces joy in us because of what he has done for us in Christ Jesus and because we are confident that he accepts our work as it flows from faith. I was reading a book, a devotional book, over the last several months, and the author made the point that fear of God's discipline is an unworthy motive for obedience. Fear of God's discipline is an unworthy motive for obedience. This is relevant even for children. You don't want to just obey your parents because you're afraid you're going to get a spanking or you're afraid you're going to get a timeout. You want to obey them because you love them and you know what they're telling you is right. And you know that they love you and they care for you. The real reason we obey God is because God is worthy of our most honorable conduct. We believe him. We have a right relationship through Jesus with him. And as such, we revere him, we love him, and we obey him. And he makes this point too. Only a strong relationship with a living God can keep such a commitment from becoming oppressive and legalistic. Only such a strong commitment or strong relationship with the living God can keep such a commitment from being oppressive and legalistic. That's significant. We are accepted in his sight. He loves us in Christ. He accepts our work in Christ. We love him. We're saved by a justifying faith. We desire to do his will. I'm not terrified. And I don't have anxious dread that that I'm acceptable to him. Or that I'll be condemned. And therefore, it's not oppressive to do his will. It's not legalistic to do his will. I have a freedom as I go about living for him. Fear then, as anxious dread, is the result of impending judgment. But for freedom, we've been set free. God accepts us in Christ. Number three. We rejoice because God is at work in us by the power of the the Spirit of the risen Christ to encourage, 
strengthen, enable, and conform us to his will and the image of Christ. We rejoice because God is at work doing all of these things in us. One of the realities that the beginning of the confession makes so clear and that Philippians 2 makes so clear is that even the good works that flow from faith and new life are the result of God's work in us. Notice that. Even, not only is faith the result of God's work in us, but the will to do the very work God calls us to comes from himself. It comes from the Spirit working to encourage, to comfort, to convict, to strengthen, and to lift up. And so there's a reality that we are met with when we consider this. We don't need to conjure up good works in ourselves or try to stir it up by our own strength, our own... It's not me trying to muster it up because I just want to be good. It comes from the Spirit through what? The preached word and the reading of the law. And if you think about it, if we're going to be faithful to our Reformed tradition, every time we hear that preached word, every time we hear that law, it's all pointing to Jesus. So it comes from really and truly beholding Christ, from seeing him more clearly. <clears throat> the psalmist asks in 119, how can the young man direct his way? By living according to your word. The word being the Son. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, he writes to the young man, he says, Young man, you are strong and you have overcome the evil one. And the reason that he gives is for this, because the word of God abides in you. Letter B. The Old Testament foreshadows this when it promises the Spirit would write God's word in our hearts. We see that primarily in Ezekiel chapter 36. There he says that I will write my word in, in, in their hearts. I will give them hearts of flesh from hearts of stone. And I will do this by giving to them my spirit. And we see other echoes of this in a, in a place like Psalm chapter 40. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I, did delight, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. It is a delight to the psalmist to do the will of God and his will is written in his heart. And that's by the Spirit. And we have the Spirit in greater measure than the, the Old Testament saints did. We have the Spirit of the risen Christ that has come to dwell in our hearts in more power than they had. So how much more so ought we delight to do the will of God? Letter C. This means that his commands and doing his will is not wearisome to us, but it is a delight. There's this chapter in, or this section in 1 John chapter 5 that makes this clear as well. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. 
For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And he concludes, and his commandments are not wearisome. And this is only true because a godly person is, first of all, devoted to God. And what is devotion to God? It is the fear of him. It is the desire for him. And it is the love of God. But the moment that we say something like that, we have to qualify it. A relationship with God that calls on him as father because one has been declared righteous in Christ. That's what that relation, that's what that devotion to God is characterized by. It's not just abstract law, love, devotion, and fear. It is love, devotion, and fear that is qualified by the reality that we have a relationship with him as a father in Christ. So from the moment of our conversion, our, the nature of our relationship with him changes. He goes from being a judge who will bring his wrath to a father who loves and who cares. So it's not dread that characterizes this relationship. It's a deep and, an, an, a deep and unfathomable love. Because we love him, because we believe in him, which he has caused, he is the root of faith, we do them, his will, his word, which he also causes in us. John says, by this we know that we love God. By this, by our obedience, we know that we love God. So works then do strengthen assurance, we love him but as our confession says, not as a basis for our salvation. Moreover, although, although we do good works, we do not base our salvation on them, for we cannot do any work that is not defiled by our flesh and also worthy of punishment. If we base our salvation on this, we would always be in doubt, we would always be in trouble, we would have tormented consciences, we would have no peace. And it is not wearisome, it is not burdensome, because we get this right. We rest solely on the merit of Christ, therefore we delight to do his will. And so we confess with the psalmist, once again from 119, oh how I love thy law, oh how I love to do your will, it is sweeter to me than honey. So in the place of fear, dread, and burden, we have joy to do his will. And it is only out of this strong relationship with God as Father who accepts us, who works faith in us, who works obedience in us, and keeps obedience in us, that we keep from becoming legalistic, dreadful, anxious, doubtful about this. It's because of that strong relationship with him believing him to be our our father in Christ, that this does not become a new death sentence. God is at work to will and to work for his good pleasure in you, that you might be pleasing to him, and that you might be brought to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. I think it's the ending of Thessalonians that says, he is able He will surely do it.
Will you pray with me? Our God and Father, we do confess that we love you, we revere you, and we delight to do your will. And sometimes there are obstinacies in our sinful heart which which battle against it, which cling to the sinful flesh, and we ask even these you would uproot. Even these you would create in its place love and a desire to be conformed to the image of our perfect Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has gone before us and is preparing a place for us there. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.